Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Sabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Moed Katan, daf Chaf, page 20. One of the themes that we've been discussing is sort of this connection between the period of the holidays, which is Man Simchat Inu, right? B'chagecha, a period of happiness, and somehow how it aligns in certain ways, halachically, at least the Chalamoe time, with a period of mourning in terms of restrictions of work and what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. Time periods, how we experience joy during a holiday and how we experience sorrow during a period of mourning that somehow seem to be linked to each other. And we see that very explicitly on today's staff. So Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Ami, and Rabbi Yitzchak were once sitting in the pavilion of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Elazar. And they were discussing the following matter between them. How do we know that when somebody has to mourn, right, has to do the actual rituals of mourning, that it's for seven days? And so we learned this from Pasuk in Amos, chapter 8, verse 10. Right, I will turn your festivals into mourning. Machag shiva af avelut shiva. Just like a chag is for seven days, so a period of avelut needs to be for seven days. So it's interesting to see that sort of this is the most explicit connection that we see, right? That the days of avelut are taken from the numbers of day of how we typically celebrate chag, those chagim being Sukkot and Pesach. So then the Gemara asks the obvious question, va mai atzeret chad yoma? But wait, Shavuot is just one day. So we need this for what Reish Lakish says. Kids uh, of Reish Lakish, sorry. Reish Lakish says, Mishum Rabbi Yoshua Nesia, right? Who said this in the name of Rabbi Yehuda Nesia. Now this gets into another very interesting area of the laws of mourning. In other words, that you find out that a relative died a long time ago. Now, obviously today, that's not so much of a possibility, but we can clearly understand why a long time ago, before telephones, emails, all the ways that we communicate today, this actually would happen, right? That people would not find out for many months. The Gemara even goes ahead and gives example of years where people didn't die. And so the idea is, if it's a uh, long period of time, right? That's what Rachel Lucky teaches, that you only have to be an Abel for one day. Right, and so again, they quote the same pasuk from Amos. And so the idea is, is that Shavuot is just a one-day festival. So since we have one festival that is only a one-day chag for the Shmuel Rechoka for uh, learning about a relative that was, you know, took, uh, that would be only um, that would only be for one day. Now again, I think this is a great example. Of these morning practices, and then they sort of latch it on to a pasuk from the Navi, or do they really learn this from the Navi? I think in this case, it's really uh, the former. I think they sort of latch on to a pasuk here. Then the Gemara goes on, Tanu Ravanan Shmua Kruva, right? So for a recent death, okay, of a relative, no Heged Shloshim, you're going to do the seven and the 30 day period. Shmua Rechokai, non but if it's a Far, you know, something that happened in the past, a long time ago, you're just going to do one day of mourning. What's considered to be close? What's considered to be far away? 
So we basically use that 30-day mourning period to separate out if it's Kruva Rechoka. That's what Rabbi Akiva says. The Chachamim say, though, whether it happened recently or whether it happened a long time ago, you're always going to follow the mourning period of seven days and the lesser mourning period of 30 days. So very interesting machlokas between Rabbi Akiva and the Chachamim. But again, I think seeing this, you know, constant theme in this Masachat of the connection between Chag and mourning is most explicit in this proof text that they bring uh, from Amos. Okay. Um, I find it really interesting. If you had, you know, the fact that there's a source for Shiva, meaning for why we have Shiva seven days, makes total sense. But I feel like nobody ever talks about it. Well, because it's not a source from the Torah, right? It's a source from Navi. And I think that's also partially. Uh, let's find a hint. But the Torah is telling us you have to mourn for seven days that way. Right. Fair enough. Okay. So the next bit of Gemara, and it really just follows on what you've been just been reading, says as follows. Um, in the, if you have the, the word Shmua is often, you know, a rumor, but in this case, it means like the news that somebody died, meaning again, one of the close relatives has died, then Shiva and Shloshim would kick in. Shmua Rechoka Eina Nohegit, I'm sorry, that's a Shmua Krova. A, a recent uh, notification. Shmua um, Rechoka would be a notification that comes after, quite a long time after the death. Right? And for in the case of, let's call it, you know, a longer time ago um, news, then you would only keep that morning for one day. So now, of course, we need to know what's considered recent, what's considered more distant. Have you had 30 days, have 30 days passed since the death? Divrei Rabbi Akiva. That's Rabbi Akiva's position. According to Chachamim, meaning now this is the majority view, the idea is that whether you heard the news of the death, no, let me say this more carefully, whether the news of the death came in a timely way, meaning within the 30 days, or after 30 days, so that the event of the death was, was longer ago. Either way, the mourner should sit seven days and, third, and 30 and keep Shloshim. So we have a, a difference of opinion, you know, how much mourning is the mourner supposed to do here? Rebek even takes a position that is fundamentally more lenient, right? Because he's not imposing the practice of mourning on somebody who hears about a death that took place more than 30 days ago. We have this general rule, meaning in all areas of halacha, that when you have one individual who takes an lenient position and the many take the more stringent position, then the halacha, the practice, the law, rather, is going to follow the many. Except for this case. Why this case? Why would this be an exception? Even though we have an individual here, meaning Rabbi Kiva, who is lenient, and the sages, the, the bulk of them, are stringent, we pass them like Rabbi Kiva and say, 
that if you get the news of a death, if somebody gets the news of a death, and meaning from more than 30 days ago, would sit only one day, not Shiva and, thir- and Shloshim. The Amar Shmuel, and here we have the explanation, we have a general principle which seems to override the other general principle of one versus many. The Either way, <coughs> the lenient position is what is upheld when it comes to matters of mourning, specifically. To be lenient, to be less imposing, I guess, less stringent with regard to the mourner himself. And the Gemara goes on to give exactly an example of when this happened, when um, when Rabbi Hanina got news of his father's death more than 30 days after. And then the question is, you know, of course, what should he do? And they apply the Pesach of Rabbi Akiva. So I think it's interesting because I, I feel like maybe you want to sit Shiva, maybe you want to keep Shloshim, um, and the lenient position is upheld I find that interesting. I don't have much more to say on it beyond that right now. In a way, it's taking away a period that might be very meaningful for some people. Um, I also find it interesting that the idea of where we're makeout is over the amount of time, the activities that you do during mourning. And again, since we sort of aligned the period of mourning with Cholomoed, we don't see a similar concept with the Halachot of Cholomoed that we always lean lenient, even though those periods of time are sort of aligned in terms of what you can do and not do. So I assume when it says that we're makeout, that also applies to activity, not just length of period of time of mourning. So I agree the whole passage is very interesting and to me leaves a lot more questions. Yeah, I think it does leave more questions. Um, And I think also the backdrop of this, right? To what extent does a person feel more distant from the event of the death because more time has passed? I don't know. <coughs> Meaning, right. I mean, in this day and age, right. I we would never have that. Is cultural, right. Like, we don't live our life that way. Everything is immediate. I mean, I've even heard, I recently was at a Shiva house where I heard a terrible story that the person who was sitting Shiva, his spouse said they actually found out the death of the person on social media before somebody actually called them. So we just live in such a world today in terms of how news travels that I just wonder if there is a difference psychologically to how right. people respond to that news. We, this is not our this is not our world that we find things out months, years after they happen. And maybe therefore the morning response was actually different because you knew it was three years later because it wasn't uncommon to be out of touch with relatives. But I, I this is just something I'm surmising. I honestly just don't know the answer to it. But it's so. But it's part of the same thinking out. that's going through my mind. Exactly that that there's an o- there are open questions here. Right. So I think quickly we just want to mention two quick points on Amud Bet. I'm going to mention one, and then Anne, you're going to mention one. So just pay attention to you know there's a Bryce here. Tanu Rabbanan Kola Omer Beparsha Kohanim Shekoin Mita Melahem Avel Mita Bel Alehem. Right. Where it's sort of lists out that all of the relatives that are mentioned in the Torah that for whom a priest can become uh, impure, meaning for, you know, taking care of their needs uh, when they die, those relatives, those are the people that we do these morning uh, rituals, uh, that we do these rituals for. Um, but then what's interesting is, right, just as we mourn for them, Rabbi Akiva says we even do the second degree relatives, which means that like 
you're required to mourn for your close relatives, those those seven that are listed. Required but a person is relatives close listed. So relatives. Rabbi Shimon ben Al Azarmer, Eno Mitabel, Ella Al Ben Benova, Al Aviv Al Avi Avid. But Rabbi Shimon ben Al Azar says we don't do that except for Ben Beno, his son son or his father's father. And the Chacham is saying any, rel- any relative whom one would mourn, right? Uh, you mourn with him also when he's mourning. So this is also interesting because we don't really do this today. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see sort of them, uh, you know, sort of tease us out. And I think what it does acknowledge also is, is yes, the Torah sort of lists these seven traditions, but I think there's an acknowledgement that some of these other relatives, one could feel very compelled to want to enter a state of mourning. And so I think that's why we have this variety of Tanitic opinions that maybe you do participate in another close relative's mourning. And then the Gemara goes on to that discussion. I've read articles about sort of that experience where today we don't follow this, but what is it like? uh, and, And this will, you know, go into your next section here. You know, what is it like to mourn for an in-law parent or something like that, when you actually don't sit shiva, but you felt very close to that person and you're sort of excluded from the formalities of those rituals of mourning. So, and I know you wanted to mention one other thing about that. Right. So the, at the, towards the very end of the command, the, there's a discussion of in-laws, right? And mourning, for an in-law, and the, the, it's, the Gemara brings a bright to Tanya, um, somebody who has lost the father-in-law or the mother-in-law, Right, that's that person, meaning where the where the parents of your spouse, and in this case, it's where the parents of the wife have died. Um, that person can the son-in-law cannot force his wife to put on makeup while she's in mourning. Right, rather they should he should join her in all of the rites of the mourning. Um, and likewise, when his parents die, right? She's not supposed to put on makeup as a sign of mourning for her in-laws and practice the rites of mourning along with. So on the one hand, and so, you know, this goes on to say like, you know, to what extent is it that she, he, he can't force her? Should she not do it? You know, the degree of, of the strength of this statement, I think is, you know, debatable and, and the government in fact goes on to debate it. But what I think is interesting here is the statement that says, you know, on the one hand, makeup becomes um, a sign of mourning or the lack of makeup, right? That's one. And the other is that the there's an assumption or a recommendation that the in-law, that the daughter-in-law or the son-in-law join the spouse in the time of mourning. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that certainly, you know, if a couple has been married a long time, been part of the family for a long time, then when after 120, the parents die, Right there's there's the loss to the daughter or son-in-law as well. Um, I think this recognizes that truth. I don't know that it always kicks in. Right, there's, we can make a whole lot of mother-in-law jokes now, but we're not going to. Right? How's this? Your bracha should be that you're in. You're in. Born you in this way. I like the most Jewy bracha. Anyhow, <laughs> really Jewy. No, but I but I want to say the other thing is I think that's also the thing with the makeup is interesting, right? Like we had earlier on the DAP also that whole you know issue about could you wear makeup in Chalamoid because that's really a sign of joy, 
Whereas not wearing makeup would be a sign of, uh, you know, of, uh, of mourning. So again, we're seeing that contrasting between these two periods of time. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought of the Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.